This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're right here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. And of course, Carol, that's part of a team of 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. And Jason, you can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. Live from New York, it is Fed Day. Let's get into it. Uh, The Fed coming out with its monthly meeting. Fed extending central bank dollar repo and swap lines to March 31st. Holds rates near zero. This is the headline you want. says virus poses considerable risk. Those are the redheads on the Bloomberg. We're going to dig into it in depth with our team. Look at the equity reaction, the fixed income reaction, everything you need to know about the underlying economy. And we're going to hear from Jay Powell in just about half an hour, the Fed chair taking questions about where the Fed goes from here. It has been heroic in many people's eyes in fighting the effects of this coronavirus. All right, let's break it down. Got the perfect experts to give us all the context you need. Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor for Bloomberg. She's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, home base. Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor for Bloomberg. He joins us from New Jersey. KH, I want to start with you. Uh, What'd you see here? We see a Federal Reserve that is signaling what we expected, Jason, because look, there's a considerable risk to the economy from the virus. The Fed also saying, again, that they're going to keep rates very low until they're confident that the recovery is underway. I think uh, another more specific thing that uh, is is highlighted, in fact, it's in one of our famous Red Hot Stickies, the Fed is extending uh, their dollar repo and swap lines to March 31st. This, These are the, the, the dollar borrowing lines that the Fed sets up for overseas central banks, right? So right. if you're leading liquidity in Japan, the UK, wherever, you can reach out to the Fed. So again, I think it underscores that the Fed is saying what we think. The virus, unfortunately, has not really lightened up its impact on the US economy, for example, that much. In some cases, it's gotten worse in the states where things are resurgent. New York, of course, doing a bit better. I like to always remind people of that. But uh, overall, the impact is negative. Uh, I think what markets are wanting to know is what did the Fed discuss Mm -hmm. about cementing narrowing down, formalizing forward guidance. All the reports are that they're talking about it now. They've been talking about this. And what it would allow them to do is underscore that they've got an easy policy. And so that will keep bond yields low. And, you know, the, the whole, the whole, the, 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 you know, the businesses will be reassured. Maybe even uh, people who want to get a mortgage will be assured. Uh, and they can do that by, with their forward guidance. I right. think we're not going to get anything specific on that until the press conference with Jay Powell because every reporter who's asked him questions is going to ask about that. But so far in the headlines and probably in the policy statement that was released, which is where we get these headlines, there's there's not too much there. There's not enough to be flashing it yet. 
Right. All right. So about 26 minutes, we expect to hear from Jay Powell. Uh, so much more to dig into, Kathleen Hayes. But first, let's get to Dave Wilson. Dave, talk to me about the equity reaction here. There was a nice run in the equity market ahead of this, some anticipation, and then it popped. What did you see? Right. I mean, you, you saw you know, in the first few moments after the headlines came out, the S&P 500 hit its high of the day, and then it sort of backed off mm-hmm. a bit, really in keeping with what it had been doing in the last half hour or so before uh, the announcement. And so what you're left with is a market that's solidly higher. And as much as anything, the other big event of the day is not really roiling stocks. And that would be the testimony of the four big tech CEOs before the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, Tim Cook at Apple, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, and Sundar Pichai at uh, Alphabet, the owner of Google. All those shares are higher at the moment, and they're helping stocks move up, as they have for some time now. Right. So it's not like what we saw the Fed really changed that equation. Right. Interesting. And we're going to talk a lot more about tech as we go throughout the afternoon. And uh, this program, we're going to hear from Tom Giles later in the show about what he heard on Capitol Hill. Getting back to the Fed, uh, Kathleen, uh, what I, I want to go back to that second redhead that you talked about, because... If it's a redhead at Bloomberg, I've been here long <laughs> enough to know, it's important. It's important to the broader world is what I heard you say. Help us understand from a, an investor's perspective why this is important, what this signals to the world and, and maybe more importantly, the markets. Well, one thing I'd like to point out and remind us is yesterday was day one of the Fed's two-day meeting. What mm-hmm. did they announce yesterday? That they were extending until the end of the year seven of their nine emergency lending programs. And the only two they didn't extend or weren't on the list was that they were already going to go to the end of the year or beyond. So basically, it shows. I think it shows us that the Federal Reserve is ready to do whatever it needs. And importantly, though, there. you remember back in June, you know, April was a terrible month, but a lot of people really thought maybe we'd be in a in more of a recovery, yeah. terrible second quarter, rebound in the third quarter. That that has faded a bit, hasn't it? Maybe we'll get the th- third quarter rebound, but it doesn't feel like we're ready to, for example, not need more stimulus from the Fed, or for that matter, not to need more fiscal stimulus. That's something else that Jay Powell probably asked a lot about at the press conference. And when we look overseas, even in countries that supposedly did better than the United States, everything's fine. Well, there they have cases popping up. Uh, the, the, the virus isn't vanquished yet, and uh, it's probably not going to be vanquished for a while. And so you never know what is going to happen again in one of the countries that has access to the Fed's swap lines. It's, it's like extending credit to other to, to foreign countries. Uh, it, I think it also shows this sense, well, let's extend it to, to March yeah. because we don't know what's going to happen. We're not in that position now where we think, oh, we're on the verge of you know a lot better situation for the economy. We're past the worst of the virus. We're at a point where everybody is still responding to it, locking down in some cases, reopening a bit in other cases. But consumers more than ever, of course, even though they're spending a lot, I want to just segue a little bit to this fiscal question because yes, Jay's going to get pounded with that. Uh I was speaking to uh, Patricia Mosser, 
Uh, this morning, she was at the New York Fed for many years. She's at Columbia University, SEPA now, but she's been there, done that, you know, really hands-on with the whole bond market side of it and all. She says that the, the reason, when, and I think a lot of people say this, one of the reasons the stimulus is so important and giving people the unemployment checks is so they'll keep spending money because that's one of the things that has responded better. And without that extra money, a lot of people are likely to say, well, I, I, I got some now. I better hold on to whatever I have, especially if the unemployment benefits I've been getting are going going to get cut. So, and again, same thing's going to be playing out overseas. So to come back to your original question, I just think broadly this shows the Fed is still in defensive mode right. in the sense of waiting to see what the virus does to us, but also in offensive mode saying, well, I'm going to keep certain players on the field, right? To perform certain tasks because, you know, this game isn't over yet. Yeah, absolutely. And so Dave Wilson, I mean, I, I turn to you and ask, how much is the market? I, I'm glad you pointed out that the market is looking and investors are looking to Capitol Hill for the tech stars, the tech CEOs. How much is the market now looking to Capitol Hill for exactly what Kathleen was talking about, which is some new fiscal stimulus? Well, that really does become front and center because, I mean, as Kathleen's pointing out, you know, monetary policy is sort of on a track at this point. Yeah. So, you know, it's a matter of what's going to change. And we know that there are going to be changes in the unemployment benefits at the end of this week, uh, even potentially if uh, Congress and, you know, the Trump administration can get together on a plan moving forward. So that becomes more of an issue just because, you know, you, you, you have the potential to see more of an effect from whatever they manage to agree on. Right. Most important question. I think I know the answer, Kathleen. Has most important question for Jay Powell. Wow. Oh, it's got to be forward guidance. I mean, yeah. that's going to guess that in so many ways. And I think he, and that might be part of the broader question. Look, there are people right now who are very concerned that we, again, we make it a three-quarter rebound because the numbers are going to be so beaten up in the second quarter. What our Bloomberg consensus for tomorrow for the second quarter GDP is down 35%. Some people have bigger numbers, some smaller, but they're all terrible, right? So yeah. it's not too hard to, you know, to get out of the, the deepest pit you could possibly be in. But uh, I think the question will be, if things get worse instead of better, what can you do? You've done everything. Yeah. And in that context, how much of a difference can forward guidance make? Uh, and of course, the, what, what, what every Republican is going to want to know is, have we done, we have to make, do more, but don't we have to worry about the bu budget deficit? Every de Democrat's going to want to know why, you know, no, we barely are going to get do enough if, if we get our three and a half trillion dollar bill passed. Uh, but again, I think, uh, and, and in fact, you know, reporters may ask versions of that as well. I, I think the most important one is, are you guys done? Is there yeah. anything more you can do? And is the ball in somebody else's court like Congress? And how prescriptive do you think he will be in terms of the fiscal side? Because I feel like he's pushed it a little bit maybe than we might have expected in terms of saying what at least he needed action, obviously, from Capitol Hill. Do you think he will be so forward as to be prescriptive or no? He won't be prescriptive. But, yeah. you know, you make a I'm glad you mentioned that because it's very important. People who haven't watched the Federal Reserve as long as I have or you have or Dave, you know, think back. We go back really far. You got to Paul Volcker. But think of Alan Greenspan. He went out of his way not even to say the word, you know, fiscal yeah. <laughs> or budget. Uh, and Jay Powell, uh, I think people were stunned some a little bit precautiously and some people gladly that he has been more willing to say maybe not exactly what you need to do, but 
you do have to spend more money. Congress has to do something. Right. This is the worst crisis this economy has seen, at least since the Great Depression. And that is where he has st he has stood out. Uh, again, I don't know what he'll be ready to say tomorrow, but I suspect that will be it. Whatever you do, just do it and do right. it fast. People can't wait. All right. Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics Policy Editor for Bloomberg. Great to get the instant context from you. Back to the Fed, back in anticipation of hearing from Fed Chair Jay Powell in roughly 14 minutes. We will take you there live. But in the meantime, let's dig in a little further, understand what we have heard from the Fed so far and what it means, especially in the context of everything going on, all these negotiations on Capitol Hill, the role the Fed has played, the role that Congress will play and the administration and what investors make of it. Delighted to have Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. He joins me from New Jersey. And Dr. Stephen Skanke, back with me, Chief Economic Advisor for Keel Point, of course, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member, just the guy that we want to talk to for all the context. This is a very holistic approach we're going to take to this. Ira, I want to start with you. Um, from your perspective, from what you watch when it comes to interest rates and the reaction of the market, what's the most important thing to read here? So, so I think that there's two things that the Fed continues to be, you know, hyper focused on the level of uh, of the coronavirus uh, cases. So they, they even added an entire uh, sentence, which for for the Fed to do that uh, and make their only significant change uh, something to do with the coronavirus, I think, is very telling. And, and the second thing that I think is generally important uh, to the market is the fact that the Fed has extended their swap lines and their uh, dollar repo facilities with other central banks uh, through the end of March 2021. And this is important because if you remember at the beginning of uh, this crisis in March, you had a lot of volatility with uh, in the Treasury market because um, there was a, a not enough dollars overseas. So this will keep plenty of dollars overseas. So things like LIBOR, the London Interbank Offered Rate, as well as treasuries that are held overseas are going to be easier to fund because of that for a long time. So that, that gets rid of a, uh, a potential worry that maybe some of the markets would have had come September when these facilities were supposed to, uh, were supposed to end. Right. All right, Stephen Skanky, come on in here. Um, let's take a step back if we can, because you have said, I think, among a number of people, this seems to be the consensus that Jay Powell and his friends at the Federal Reserve, they've done a pretty good job. They have been on the front foot, they've been pretty active, they have made a lot of moves, and yet they come into this latest meeting, they came into this latest meeting with a backdrop that they probably didn't anticipate or certainly didn't want to anticipate. It is not an optimistic view of the world right now. Tell me about that. Well, the Fed, as you, as you point out, uh, Jason, has been preemptive, proactive, aggressive. Uh, they, they, they really are satisfied with all the things that they've done. They're certainly not satisfied with what's going on in the world and the U.S. economy. And, and so their bewilderment is, uh, is, is obviously something of interest. Uh, uh, they, they, they got things going in a good way. They promised that they would do all that needed to be done. And with their $2.6 trillion in emergency credit facilities uh, ready to go, uh, they found that they didn't even have to use all that much of it uh, because once they, they said that they were there and then they uh, extended credit a few times, good example is the money market uh, uh, mutual fund liquidity facility. Uh, uh, some money was extended. It was paid back. The market understands the Fed is standing by. All of that settled down. 
Uh, and we were on a good trajectory from the end of April uh, right up until uh, pretty much the end of June when the uh, the reopenings uh, and almost a disregard for the virus in some locations uh, uh, caught people by surprise. And yeah. lo and behold, the virus is back and uh, people are sick. Hospitals are filling up. Uh, and that old concern comes back again. Uh, and even though we don't expect uh, and no one expected that uh, state and local governments were going to shut down the way they had in March, uh, people self-shutter, self-shelter in place as a result of their concern about being in the marketplace or the workplace. Uh, so the, the, the Fed is out there doing what it can. You know, the fact that it's added $3 trillion to its balance sheet since January uh, and as you rightly point out, is committed to using its full range of tools, uh, doing all that it needs to do to support the economy in this challenging time. They are there and at the ready. But as you also mentioned, uh, uh, Powell, unlike his predecessors, uh, has been pretty, straight, pretty straightforward about their needing to be fiscal stimulus uh, to do things that monetary policy cannot. Uh, and that also is a source of disappointment. That uh, you know that here we are with a uh, an immediate need for um, extending some of the fiscal stimulus programs that have been previously enacted, uh, and uh, uh, Congress is not encouraging that right. it's going to happen anytime soon. No, and, and that certainly is the the vibe we're getting. And 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 let's talk if we can, Ira, a little bit about that disconnect. That and, and there are a number of disconnects. I feel like we're looking at especially when we look through the eyes of investors or look at investors' actions here. Help me understand kind of what you see in the numbers and in the data and as you uh, talk to your colleagues and, and folks on Wall Street about how the market broadly defined is reacting to this current situation because, as Stephen just pointed out, it's not looking great out there, and yet here we are in, in a fairly optimistic, dare I say, enthusiastic uh, investment environment. Well, we lost Ira. So, Stephen Skanky, I'm going to turn to you, turn back to you. <laughs> Let's talk more about that. But you talk to me about that disconnect, if we can, because I'm, I continue to be sort of befuddled by it. Do you, or is this just how kind of markets work? The, the, the gap, the chasm between the kind of real life and what investors seem to be uh, investing against uh, doesn't add up to me. It is certainly perplexing, and there's uh, a lot of good reason to be skeptical and doubtful in all this. But, but as we continue to watch it and look how the market reacts to any particular news, mm -hmm. it's mostly driven by an expectation of getting the virus under control vaccines, therapeutics. Uh, we saw good news uh, announced late yesterday about some vaccine results. And although the market was off a little yesterday, it's, it's now uh, rebounding positively again today. The other thing that's been uh, a bit of a surprise is uh, S&P earnings. Uh, so yeah. far, they're, they're beating estimates, uh, uh, self-identified uh, estimates, guidance from the companies, and bottom-up calculations uh, of earning estimates. Uh, and they're beating them at a rate that's greater than usual than we usually see in the second quarter. Right. Uh, so so the, the, the rebound seems to be greater than believed. Now, part of it is this, this peculiar bifurcation that we have 
going on where the hardest hit companies are the smaller, non-publicly traded companies that don't have access to the credit markets. That's a great point. larger publicly traded companies do. And, uh, and, and some of those companies are, are naturally benefiting from uh, smaller competitors, competitors just not being able to, uh, uh, to continue and to hold on. Um, even, even in the uh, uh, earnings outlook, uh, it, I mean, we're still expecting a 33% uh, decline in earnings for, for the second quarter, which is significant, extraordinary, but it's better than the 42% uh, forecast that was uh, um, that's been trending out there. So the chasm, the gap. What do you do when something is too frightening, really, to spend much time looking at it? You look beyond. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and sure enough, sure enough, they're they're looking to the other side and a third quarter economic rebound and some rebound in in earnings uh, in the third and fourth quarters, and then on into 2021. Right. Well, I, I think there's this yeah. is our, uh, I, I think hey, there's a couple of things. I think one is that when you look at the bond market, right, the market that I focus on, it's still telling you that there's going to be very weak economic activity and relatively low inflation for years to come. So, you know, the, the, the bond market's not necessarily telling you the same thing that maybe the stock market might be on first blush. But I think one of the things that's happening with risk assets generally everywhere is the reaction function that uh, that, that the, the, the Federal Reserve and other monetary authorities globally are going to keep uh, monetary policy easy even after the whole COVID crisis is gone, right? So that's one of the things that the, the Fed reiterated today. It's certainly what you've seen in the dots back in June is the Federal Reserve basically committing that they're going to hold rates where they are now, basically zero, until at least 2023. And then the market's even thinking that if they hike, it's going to be like once every six months. So you're not talking about monetary policy getting restrictive any time in the next four or five years. So um, you know, so it does make sense that valuations, maybe uh, based on current earnings, are you know relatively high. But but like your the other guest said, maybe over the next three years, earnings wind up getting back to some level that they were say prior to uh, to the whole COVID issue. So so I think that's that that you're having this this whole um, you know systemic difference in what you're seeing between different markets. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Stephen Skanky, taking this from a policy perspective, because you know all the levers in Washington that can and can't be uh, pulled. Many have been, but some are slower to, to act, as you alluded to, with the fiscal side and maybe the frustration, even if he's not showing it, on the part of Jay Powell and his colleagues. What needs to happen here and why isn't it happening? It, it seems that there's still a certain amount of uh, denial about the, the seriousness of the virus. If you even just look at the, uh, uh, the trend in, in whether uh, the president's wearing a face mask or not, uh, you know, for, for three days in a row uh, or three press announcements in a row, he's touting the benefits of uh, face mask wearing, social distancing, washing your hands. Uh, uh, and, and, then we, and then we get a, a, a turn where that doesn't seem to be a priority anymore. Uh, I think there's an internal conflict uh, in, the, uh, in the White House as to the policy that they want. The fact that it's the White House and the Treasury Secretary, and really the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, who are negotiating with uh, uh, congressional Democrats, and not even including uh, 
Senate Republican leadership, uh, so it seems. Right. Uh, Whatever they might be doing to keep them informed, they're uh, they're certainly not part of the negotiations. uh, And they just they just have a different view on this. They have a different uh, perspective as to uh, how they want to treat it and whether that's driven by information they think to be true that uh, others uh, take issue with uh, is not clear. I think yeah. the other thing is uh, is they had originally resisted the extra $600 a week in uh, the unemployment insurance assistance for people uh, uh, unemployed because of uh, the COVID situation uh, and the shutdown. And uh, because they thought it was uh, it would be a disincentive for people to return to work. And lo and behold, uh, some consensus is around 58 percent of those receiving that benefit are receiving more right. uh, in unemployment insurance benefits than they were when they were working. Uh, and employers have complained, uh, mostly anecdotally, but still yeah. uh, with a lot of voices that they've had trouble getting people back to work. Uh, and, and, and so there was there was a seizing upon that issue and how do they fix it? Uh, and regrettably, uh, the way our unemployment insurance system has built up uh, uh, and jerry-rigged over the years, it's virtually impossible to yeah. fix it in the short term. So they're trying to thread through that uh, and, and address yeah. an obvious uh, an obvious concern, uh, but in a way that. Uh, that maybe is not really recognizing the urgency of extending those uninsurance employment benefits. Yeah, it is complicated and it is very political, as you say. Dr. Steven Skanke, what a treat. Thank you so much. Chief Economic Advisor Keel Point and former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member joining me from D.C. Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, joining me on the phone from New Jersey. Both those guys I know are going to be tuned in to Washington as are we. So we just heard from Jay Powell down in Washington. Let's understand what he said, because as Charlie said, the equity markets, at least, and specifically the S&P, they are close to their highs of the day, the major indices. Why is that so? What are we seeing in the broader economy that is continuing to give investors a lot of confidence. Yelena Shalecheva, she is with us. She is working hard today. I've heard her on our air a number of times, senior U.S. economist for Bloomberg Economics. She joins on the phone, as does Steve Litz, chief U.S. economist for T.S. Lombard. He's on the phone from New York City. Steve, I want to start with you. What's the most important thing Jay Powell said beyond what we heard in the statement? Well, um, I think the most, to me, the most interesting take um, was actually the question about loans. Hmm. And he, he implied that the reason why there hasn't been much take up in the loans is because the markets have done well. And he's got it backwards. Uh, the reason why he hasn't had a take up in the Main Street lending program, and that's really the lending program I'm focused on here, is because firms don't feel confident in the outlook because of the virus and, and, the, and the curves that it can throw in terms of having any sort of a plan about business activity going forward. And small firms don't want to take on debt in that uncertainty. And I juxtapose that against the fact that the market continues to go up. So it's, Wall Street's moving in one direction, but the fact that there's no take up in these loans tells you that on the ground level, 
there is too much uncertainty about the outlook for people to be willing to take on debt, even in a very, very favorable terms. So, Yelena, that data, what is Jay Powell looking at? Because uh, it's a lot of the same stuff you're looking at. How uncertain is the economy right now? Well, they have been talking about uncertainty for quite some time now. You know, uh, Lael Brainerd, uh, the Fed governor, uh, mentioned uh, that uh, the outlook is uh, in the middle of uh, the fog, the fog of uncertainty uh, right now. So uh, that's why they haven't taken any action uh, at this meeting. They're using this time to uh, discuss what they would like to do with the policy framework uh, and what they would like to do with forward guidance. I think what really happened at this meeting, uh, because there's actually nothing much they can do at this point in terms of immediate policy action, although there are some things they can improve in terms of the Main Street lending facility and so on. But they're using this time to kind of to come up to uh, terms in, um, in a sense of, how they would like to improve forward guidance. Should they tie it to a uh, calendar-based uh, uh, kind of a statement or should they uh, tie it to economic outcomes? So in our view, what is happening is that they're gearing up to publish something later on this year along with the um, results of the review of the uh, framework, uh, something that states, okay, we're going to keep rates uh, low until the unemployment rate reaches 5% and until inflation shows significant progress towards the 2% uh, goal. Right. They will put a lot of emphasis on, on what actually will happen and not only on expectations that inflation will at some point reach their in, uh, 2% target. So, Steve, the the Fed is obviously a very important input for anyone who's trying to understand the economy. Uh, but it is just one thing, and I think about what's going on just up the street from where Jay Powell was on Capitol Hill, not just with the tech executives <laughs> testifying, but also with a a fight which Jay Powell alluded to between the two main political parties over fiscal stimulus. He spoke more maybe than even we expected him to about the need for that and some of the atmospherics around that. There's also a political calculus that economists are taking into account, which is an upcoming presidential election. How do you synthesize all that? How do you find the signal in the noise here? Well, I think that what he told you uh, and the way I look at policy, both the Fed as well as um, fiscal policy, is this way. He talked about the two phases, the lockdown and the reopening. Mm. In the lockdown phase, transferring income and supporting markets is paramount. And the fiscal policy and what he alluded to about the virus determining and looking at the outcome and looking at what's going on across the Sun Belt and how that has slowed the pace of economic activity, we're not really fully into that reopening phase. And what does that mean from a policy standpoint? It means that policy still has to transfer income. And if you and if those in government and the fiscal side 
want to say that, well, we don't have to do that because the economy is reopening and all that. Okay, that's a, that's a political view. It's not really backed by an economic reality. And they risk the economy slowing down by undercutting that transfer of income. Um, of course, all of this is extraordinarily uncertain. If everybody right. gets better in Texas and Florida starting tomorrow, everything reopens and, and, and everything takes off. Or vice versa, other states, New York's doing well, it goes in the other direction in the fall. So we're still, we're not locked down like we were, but the economy still doesn't have the traction where pure stimulus works. Yeah. And the Fed is really out of bullets here in terms of transferring income. Yes, if the market goes down 20% again or whatever, they'll buy more treasuries, they'll expand the balance sheet, they'll do what they can to flood the market with even more liquidity to help put a, a floor on the equity market. But that's still an income transfer program in effect as opposed to a program that's going to stimulate and grow the economy. And the one thing I heard, because I... I is that on the policy framework and looking at it from the perspective of minority employment and the fact, and you landed 100% right, about, well, I don't know if it's 100% right, but I agree with 100%. Um, <laughs> uh, it, 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 in, the, um, in the framework of letting inflation run a lot ho- hotter, I'll tell you what he's really saying and in the order he's giving things. Employment is the lead dog here. Yeah. And employment is going to be the lead dog for a long time. And just because we're at the high class problem of unemployment being down to 4% at some point, looking at minority unemployment, looking at all these broad things, they're not going to be quick to start tightening in anticipation that that 4% unemployment rate is going to create an inflation problem. They are going to let this employment go until they actually see an inflation problem, and then they'll react to it. And that's really the framework. Yeah, interesting, interesting, really interesting breakdown. Uh, Yelena, final word to you. What's the most important data point we need to be thinking about next? I think I was uh, actually wanted to reiterate, and the Fed uh, put it in the statement, and I was quite surprised they did. The path of the economy will depend significantly on the course of the virus. They wanted to reiterate that. And at the end of the day, uh, yeah, well, fiscal measures aim to provide a necessary bridge to weather economic turmoil. The Fed is keeping interest rates low. At the end of the day, the strength of the recovery will largely depend on containing the spread of the virus. And at that point, we will need uh, further policy support, whether from the Fed or from the fiscal authorities. Yeah, it is. I'm really glad you brought that up because it is interesting to hear a policymaker essentially say, this is a health crisis, folks. At at its core, it is a health crisis. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. All right. Thank you so much for that reaction. Yelena Shalecheva, Senior U.S. Economist for Bloomberg Economics and Steve Blitz, Chief U.S. Economist for T.S. Lombard. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. Drive. 
This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right. It's time for the drive to the close already. Here we are at the close of trading on a very green day, as you heard Charlie Pellet mention. Let's get into it with Chuck Lieberman, co-founder, chief investment officer of Advisors Capital Management, joining us on the phone from lovely Ridgewood, New Jersey. Chuck, how the heck are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, easy to do well. Uh, I feel like when the market is, I was just saying to Dave Wilson, I don't know if you heard me, uh, S&P, in the green, it looks like we're going to finish up in a way that it is in the green for the year. That's got to feel a little bit surprising, right? Uh, well, you know, it's really a mixed story because obviously the tech sector, yeah. uh, things uh, related to uh, uh, health care, all are at record levels. Uh, but uh, there are lots of parts of the market, you know, everything related to transportation, leisure, um, uh, vacations, entertainment, all that stuff is still down 20, 25, 50 percent. So it's really a tale of two cities. Yeah, it's such a good point. And, uh, you know, I was speaking with Stephen Skanky earlier on in the show ahead of uh, hearing from Jay Powell. And notably, Jay Powell himself mentioned some of those uh, travel and hospitality stocks, as you said. And, you know, Skanky made the, the really interesting point that, you know, the stock market really is driven, as you say, by not just a small number of names, but also publicly traded companies that probably are able to weather this a little bit better uh, than certainly some of the small businesses who've just gotten really, really crushed, to say the least, amid all of this. So what do you do as an investor knowing that bifurcation and that chasm that we talk so much about between the real economy that we're all sort of experiencing and a pretty enthusiastic stock market? Well, you got you got to break it down. So, in the case of, for example, the technology stocks, the Amazons, the Netflix, uh, they have experienced a surge in demand, and you've got to ju- adjust for, for that rise in demand and make a judgment: Do the stocks today represent value? Mm. Right, and there, there's a, a more difficult case to make because obviously demand has accelerated by a couple of years, uh, and a case can be made that you know maybe Netflix is now expensive you have a much easier time on the other side of the coin where you look at companies that have been hurt by the pandemic and you can see when some of those companies might start to see improvement. Uh, They're all not going to come back at the same time. Some will come back in the early phases. Some will come back in the later phases. We're not terribly interested in, for example, getting into some of the airline stocks quite yet. That'll probably come back a little later. But there are plenty of other parts of the market, parts of the economy, that will come back sooner, and that's where we want to play. All right. Well, I want to welcome into the mix my partner, Scarlett Fu, hustling over from TV. She was watching the Fed literally and talking about it. Um, So, Scar, bring it all together for us. You, like me, and uh, like Chuck here, we were listening pretty closely to Jay Powell. We were listening pretty closely, and Jay Powell sounded a little more downbeat, certainly, than he was in June, given how the COVID situation has worsened in the United States. One thing that's come up a lot is how dovish the Fed is. And of course, that's what's spurring stocks higher right now and bond yields lower. The Fed's been buying treasuries and all sorts of other securities to ensure smooth market functioning. I wonder, Chuck, has all this intervention led us to a point where we have some kind of market dysfunction? Do markets still serve an important purpose in signaling anything about the economy when the central bank is all in and providing tons and tons of liquidity to push prices higher? 
Well, you know, their objective is not to push prices higher. Their objective is to make the economy recover. And uh, as Jay Powell himself said, you know, they have to hope for the best, but they have to plan for the worst. So that's why he sounds, you know, kind of downbeat. Um, and, you know, given that he's Fed, uh, Fed chairman, that makes perfectly good sense. Uh, when you think about it, you've got to think about where the opportunity is for recovery uh, as an investor. And uh, from our standpoint, we see, you know, whole sectors of the economy that have been hurt pretty badly by the virus, by the pandemic, uh, and they're priced for a horrible environment. But we think that some parts of them are really cheap and very attractive because, Unlike uh, the Fed chairman, we can look ahead and think about the possibility of a vaccine coming this fall. He refuses to do that because, again, he's planning for the worst. We can think about what's more likely. Mm. And th- there is a good chance that, the, uh, that a vaccine is coming uh, probably this year, certainly by next year. It's doubtful we'll have enough doses to really help the economy on a broad basis in 2020. But by early next year, it wouldn't surprise me if we have quite a bit of it. And so, you know, we're thinking ahead, uh, not about uh, how bad things can possibly get. So, Chuck, love talking names, as you know. So let's talk about some banks because, you know, financials, it's been a little bit of a different crisis this time around for them. Where do you find uh, value and what do you like when it comes to the big banks? Yeah, so again, as Powell said, uh, our banks are in really good financial shape. Uh, they've got a lot of capital. Uh, the Fed changed the uh, stress tests at the last minute because of the pandemic to stress them even more. Uh, and even under those circumstances, our banks are in pretty good shape. Uh, so we like the big money center banks, uh, pretty much all of them. Uh, even Wells Fargo? Risk ones, even, yes, I do like Wells Fargo because Wells Fargo is badly – Wells Fargo got hit by the pandemic and their own personal – uh, problems. And uh, one coming on top of the other really depressed the stock price. Uh, I do think Wells Fargo is not only going to survive, they'll overcome it. Uh, they obviously w- are, are going to engage in a major cost reduction effort. Their costs are relatively high. They've got to earn their place back with the uh, regulators. They're working on that. They replaced uh, senior management. New senior management has that as a very primary mission. Mm. Uh, and so if you're patient, I think Wells Fargo is a very cheap stock that will come back very nicely. What else do you like uh, as you look across uh, the financials, maybe mortgages? Well, in the mortgage space, uh, you can pick up uh, different types of exposure. Uh, for example, the, the Fed is going out and buying mortgages. Uh, Fannie Mae, Ginnie Mae mortgages, those mortgages are very safe. They sold off during the pandemic. Uh, the markets panicked. Uh, people were dumping securities left and right, including government-guaranteed mortgages. But uh, with the Fed coming back in, that space has not only stabilized, it's gone back to very healthy levels. Mortgage rates are now very low. People are refinancing. Uh, a company like American Capital Agency yeah. uh, uh, is trading at a discount to book, about 90% of book with a yield over 10%. In this environment where you know, get uh, 60 basis points on a 10-year treasury, to be able to pick up 10% on a company that owns government-guaranteed mortgages is very attractive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to leave it there. Unfortunately, Chuck, got to get to the close. We really appreciate you joining us. Chuck Lieberman, co-founder, chief investment officer of Advisors Capital Management. 
joining us on the phone from Ridgewood. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. Bloomberg.